Okay, we are in a series called Citizens, and we have just re-begun it. If you were around last summer, you may remember we did a, a series called Citizens last summer. We're now beginning it again with another bunch of issues, including poverty, singleness, education, the EU referendum, homosexuality, nothing controversial at all. And this morning, we thought we would go for the, go for the jugular, and we're going to be looking at questions around transgender and intersex. So this is going to be an interesting morning for you if you have never been to this church before. Um, this is, we don't do this every week. Um, welcome. Um, but, but actually we do believe that God's word speaks about everything. And that, that any issue we're facing, we need to go to the wisdom of God and look and see what he has revealed. And navigate the issue to help us. And so that's what we're going to try and do this morning. Um, which is effectively, I'll define the terms in a bit, but it's effectively questions around how should we respond to those people, and there'll be some in this community as a whole, some probably in this room, and many of you who will be, have family members for whom this will be an issue as well. How do we respond to people whose experience of their gender doesn't fit with their biological sex? Or people whose biological sex is ambiguous? Or people who have taken measures to change their biological sex as it's expressed externally? Or various other issues as well? Now, we've had some in the church who I think are even concerned that we're talking about the issue. So I want to give a little introduction as to why I think it's a big issue for us to talk about. Um, notwithstanding the fact that there are, as I say, almost certainly people in this room for whom this is a live issue right now in terms of your questions about your own sexual identity or those of close family members or friends. But transgender has become a huge issue in the culture as a whole, particularly in the last 12 months, and I think there's a good reason for that. But probably just for about two years to May 2014, Time magazine said transgender is the next civil rights frontier. So this is the next thing about which the rights of individuals are going to have to be reconsidered in light of what we are now thinking about sexuality. Last June, Vanity Fair, big magazine based in the States, ran this front cover, and it was the transition of Bruce Jenner, who was an Olympic gold medal winning decathlete and father of six children. He transitioned from Bruce into Caitlin and said, I now want to be known as a woman. He's now got his own reality TV show and has become a very big celebrity in America. And I don't think it's a coincidence that this issue was in June 2015, because June 2015 was also the, issue, it was also the month in which the Supreme Court handed down their ruling on gay marriage in America. So effectively, this is the next step beyond that. I think that's why it's become a big issue more recently. And you might be thinking, oh, well, of course, that's Americans. Yeah, okay, so in Eastbourne two months ago, uh, there was a local school that ran a day where all the children were invited to come in rainbow-colored clothing to celebrate LGBT. And in at least one instance, they put a, a line on a whiteboard and said to the children in the class who are 11 and 12, I'd like you to mark with a cross where you feel you are on a scale from male to female, rather than are you male or female? It's where on this line do you feel like you are? Um, and that's an Eastbourne school. Some of your kids go there. In the last month, there's been a big bust-up in the United States over access to bathrooms. So this will be a sort of standard graphic showing that, you know, the gender-neutral bathroom thing. Um, so Target, which is a shop in America, a very widely known um, kind of retailer in America, has allowed transgender people to choose which toilet they want to use. Um, and then some people got upset about that because women were saying, well, we don't want to be in a bathroom that might have a man in it, even though he says he's a woman. I don't think he is. That sort of, so that all then kicked up a storm. Then there was a boycott of the shop. And then there was state legislation against the shop being allowed to do it. And then there were rock stars saying, we're not going to go and play gigs in that state because they're banning that 
thing, Jack stopped from doing that thing, you know, so it all became a big mess, and Bruce Springsteen and others saying, no, we're not going to play in that state because of this, and so on. So it became a huge culture war explosion in the States just in the last six weeks or so. Then a few days ago, Barack Obama wrote a letter to all the public schools in the country saying, this is how we expect you to implement a transgender bathroom policy in your school, so the child can choose which sex they associate with, and then you have to honor that in which bathroom they're allowed to use, even if it isn't their biological sex. Radio 4, just last Friday, I was commuting to Milton Keynes, and so 10 days ago, and I heard four separate features on the Today program, which is the flagship news program for Radio 4, on transgender. Just four separate things, all covering it, or just after the Obama uh, announcement had been, had been made. Um, I actually heard another one on the radio this morning. I, just, I had the radio on for about three minutes between my house and picking up Sally, and then by the time I'd done that, I'd already heard a feature uh, trailer for a, another program on transgender coming up for the following Monday. In Brighton, at the moment, forms for children as young as four ask parents to say which gender the child identifies with rather than which sex they are. Uh, and in the last week, I'm now, it was three, but as of this morning, it's now four church members have mentioned to me that this is a live issue for them in a particular way, either because a colleague or a flatmate in one case or somebody in a school is expressing a desire to transition from male to female or female to male, and it is presenting an issue for them in their lives and questions about how to handle it. And then behind all of those headlines, there are a multitude of people you've never heard of who are asking this question either themselves how do I express? I feel this, but I know that biologically that's true. And people whose biological sex is unclear or ambiguous. And many, many others who are saying, I don't know how to think about this issue in a culture where this seems to be moving very fast. I'm trying to hit a moving target, and I don't know what I think or how to respond wisely. It's a minefield. And you're really glad you came today, aren't you? Yeah. The question I want to ask is, what does love look like? Right? That's the, that's the question. What does love look like in that context? Let's turn to the Word of God, shall we? It's a good place to go when you're confused. Matthew chapter 19. Oh, grateful for Jesus, aren't you? Matthew chapter 19. This is, you should know, this is not going to suddenly turn out to be a hidden passage in the Bible about transgender. They didn't have hormone blockers and sex reassignment surgery in first century Palestine, and it won't surprise many of you to learn that. But I think two things Jesus says in this text are integral and essential to thinking clearly about issues of transgender and intersex. And we're going to see what they are. Matthew 19, verse 1. Now, when Jesus had finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee, and he entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. And Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, haven't you read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. They said to him, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce to send her away? He said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. The disciples said to him, if such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. But he said to them, not everyone can receive this saying, 
but only those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this, receive it. Now, as I say, that's a story about divorce and remarriage, not about transgender and intersex. But as Jesus answers this question, he makes two points which are of enormous importance for navigating this issue and helping serve people for whom it is an issue. The first major point he makes, I think, is in verse 4, when, it say, when he says, Have you not read that from the beginning he, God, made them male and female? Which you often hear referred to as the male-female binary. Which is to say, there are males and females. There is not a spectrum of 100% male, 70-30, 50-50, 30-70, nor 100. That's not the way it works. God created male and female. Jesus is appealing to what he and his audience would regard as an obvious fact from Genesis 1 and 2. God made them male and female. Haven't you read that? That's where he starts navigating the issue of marriage as he goes. So God's good creation involves males and females being different, and we're not free to mess around with it or with marriage. That's the first important point he makes. The second important point he makes sounds like it's in tension with that idea. The second important point is in verse 12, when he says something slightly surprising. Throws in a word you wouldn't have thought would be there. For there are eunuchs, as in If you saw a eunuch who'd been made so by men, that would be a castrated male. A eunuch is then somebody who is genetically male, in our terms, genetically male, but doesn't have the appropriate sexual organs to go with that genetic identity. So, now they didn't use language of genes in the first century, but we do, so you know what I mean. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who've been made eunuchs by men, and eunuchs who've made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven. Interesting phrase there, there are eunuchs who have been so from birth. There are, in other words, there are people who are born without the sexual anatomical kit that goes with their genetic identity in our modern terms. There are people who are genetically male, but nevertheless don't have a penis or don't have testicles or whatever. They are born eunuchs. Now, that is an interesting statement because what that is saying is, yes, God made them male and female, but there are some who are born who are exceptions to that very general rule. It's almost always true. There are some exceptions. And Jesus seems to be saying that both of those things are true. God made us male and female. A few of us do not quite fit the categories through no fault of our own. And we're born that way. And I think that a culturally robust and yet pastorally sensitive response to this issue and the people for whom it is an issue involves both of those insights. Creation is good. God made us male and female. Biological sex is given by God and is good. And we live in a fallen world. There are a few people who, for whom, through no fault of our own, for whom it is not that simple and we just don't fit one of those two categories. So what I'm going to try and do is apply both of those truths to three related groups of people that you might be either represented in this room or you might be thinking about if you're in this room. The three groups of people I want to apply it to, firstly, intersex people, which means people whose biological sex is ambiguous. That is, people who's either because of their their genitals or their gonads or their genes, it is not 100% clear that they are male or female. There are various reasons why that might be true. Intersex people, category one. Category two, transgender people. Those whose experience of gender, the way that they experience the world, is different from their biological sex. So they might be biologically male, but experience life, or would say they experience life as a female. 
That's the second category of person. Generally speaking, by the way, when people say sex, that's talking about male or female, and when they say gender, that's talking about masculine or feminine. That's simplistic, but it might be helpful. So technically, it's not the case that my gender is male. That's my sex. That's, bio that's a re biological reality. Gender is generally used as a slightly broader word for the way you experience something rather than the biological reality behind it. Just throwing that out there. So I want to apply these truths to intersex people, to transgender people, and then thirdly, to the people through whom many of us experience the issue, which is the activists, journalists, media, educators, students, progressives, Twitterati, whoever they might be, who are using transgender people and the issue as a way of destroying the male-female binary altogether. And that's a third group, and that's not the same. And actually, the way you react to those three different groups will be different because the needs are different and what love looks like will also probably be different. So in some ways, our response to the first group, to intersex people, is in many ways the easiest. You might think, what? That's ridiculous. It's a really complex issue. Well, kind of yes and kind of no. Our response to intersex people, I think, is actually as simple as this. God loves you. I love you. Tell me what it's like to be you. How can I help? What's it been like? Tell me what your story is. What's it like to live in your shoes? You must have faced some challenges, some confusions, some probably some discrimination or rejection. What's it like? How can I help serve you? God loves you, so do I. It's actually quite a simple Christian answer, right? For the Christian, the question is never, do we love this person? The question should always be, well, how do I love this person? Right? Love God, love your neighbor. Jesus said, you do that. That's basically it for Christianity. It's quite simple, really. So how do I love my neighbor? How do I love this person? I want, first of all, to communicate, I love you and God loves you. And I don't know what it's like to live in your shoes. And my guess is you have faced some challenges that I can't even think about. So help me understand them. Now, for many years, that's not how the world responded to intersex people. What would often happen is a child would be born, the genitals would be ambiguous, and the doctor would make a decision, male or female, and remove the organs that didn't fit that profile. Now, that could be very harmful, because you're making a very, very early call, and that person could then grow up experiencing something that's completely out of kilter with, their, actually, their genetics, which, as you discover more about things, you realize, oh, this, this isn't quite as simple as just get rid of an organ and it'll all sort itself out, because there's hormones involved, and there's genetics and chromosomes involved, and there's various causes of this issue. Now, some Christians can feel a bit threatened by that because a lot of people might think, well, hang on, if there are exceptions to the male-female binary, then there is no male-female binary, right? So that we lose male and female. We lose the givenness of male and female. But in this story, I think Jesus shows us that's just not true. I think Jesus shows us some were born eunuchs. And in the beginning, God made them male and female. They're both true. Neither of them counts out the other, and that's okay. So I think my response to an intersex person is actually fairly straightforward. If you're intersex here this morning, I just want you to hear this from me. God loves you. I love you. I'd love to hear what it's been like living your life, if that would help you and if it could help me, actually. It would be really, very useful to understand. And I think that's, a, in many ways, a pretty simple response. Our response to transgender people is actually very similar, although there are a couple of complexities that also have to be thought about. But I think the response is pretty much the same. God loves you, I love you, we love you, we welcome you as a community. We'll let you tell us what it's like to be you and tell us how we can help. I think it's the same kind of response. Now, at the same time, because of the third group that we're going to talk about in a minute, there are a few complexities that get added in. So, for instance, there can be pressure to define someone as trans too early in their life. 
rather than to wait and see. So it can be, there can be social pressure for a child or a teen who is experiencing a disconnect between the way they feel about them, their sexuality and what their biological sex is, they can feel a tension. And because they can, there can be pressure, whether it's coming from media or education or anywhere else, to define themselves as their felt gender rather than their biological sex. And if that happens too early, what often happens, we now know this from scientific research and doctors being, again, on the radio to their credit saying this, saying, we've got to be careful because actually a majority of children and teens who transition from one to the other transition back. So if people are saying at the age of 12, 13, before, before or during puberty, I feel like I'm this even though biologically I'm that, by adulthood, most of them will have, the majority will have transitioned back to their biological sex. So if you medically intervene, which is what doctors are saying we shouldn't do, you're at risk of confirming something harmful in the life of that child or teenager. So that's, there's a pressure there which we have to be mindful of. There's also an assumption in the culture more broadly that the best way to help somebody if there's a disconnect between their mind and their body is to align the body to fit the mind rather than align the mind to fit the body. There's a kind of Gnosticism in the 21st century form, really, which is, well, the body's plastic and malleable. The, the mind, that's what's fixed. The body, you can just get, do anything you like with because our medical technology kind of allows us to, to a point. And actually, it's important if you stand back from that and take an issue like anorexia, you would say, no, actually, it's very important that you don't simply align the body to fit the mind, but to a point, you align the mind to fit the body. And I think the same may well be true here. There's, there's a cultural pressure of affirming, you feel that, great, therefore let's make it physically true, which is not always the best way of helping people. There are also a few pastoral sensitivities. So people would say to me, how are you going to counsel someone who comes in and says, I'm a male, but I experience life as a woman? My answer is, don't know. I'd probably start by talking to them about it. I don't know, but often people will want a quick answer, saying, how are we going to deal with this, this category? And I say, no, no, we're not talking really primarily about categories, we're talking about people, all of whom have different reasons and stories, and so actually, pastorally, I might well have no idea how to counsel somebody until I've talked to them for some length about what it's like and where, how it's been and when they decided something and when they experienced something for the first time. It's a very complex thing to do. So there's some pastoral sensitivities, and there are also, if we're honest, some practical sensitivities, like bathroom usage. Um, and one of the great things about having a unisex toilet out there is that this doesn't have to be an issue in the church because people can use the unisex toilet, so it's, it doesn't force us into a difficult area. But there, I read this comment that I thought was wise recently. No matter how compassionate the people and pastor are, if there isn't a family bathroom, things get complicated fast. And there's some wisdom there, actually, that there can be just simply some practical triggers, which is what schools are finding, that are making the issue much more complex than perhaps it, you might think it would need to be just because of a lack of a particular set of facilities. So there are some complexities, but we mustn't allow those complexities to, make, to take us away from the key statement we want to make to anybody who's experiencing these issues, which is, God loves you, I love you, welcome, thank you for coming. Tell us what it's like to be you, if you feel comfortable to do that. I'd love to hear about it. That's the thing we want people to hear. That's the thing I want to be in my heart, even if I know that there are some pastorally or personally tricky areas that I might have to think through. I said I was going to talk about three categories. Intersex people, transgender people, and then finally, the, for many of us, the main way we meet this issue, which is through the third group, which is what I want to talk about now. And the third group, I guess, are the activists, journalists, media, students, educators, etc., 
who are using the transgender issue or transgender people as a way of destroying the male-female binary altogether. And this is a different issue again. And that's much, I think, of what's happening in local schools and concert cancellations and bathroom debates and supermarket boycotts. A lot of the issue is not actually how do we best love this person. A lot of the issue is how do we win a much wider cultural battle that means we can say there are exceptions Therefore, God didn't make us male and female, and there's a big spectrum, and you can stand anywhere on it you like, and sleep with anybody you like, and Christians should really shut up. There's a much broader debate taking place, you see, which is not necessarily the same thing as how do we love and serve this person. Interestingly, that logic is the mirror image of the logic some Christians use. Some Christians would, I guess, be tempted to say, some of us probably tempted to say, well, God made them male and female, so there aren't any exceptions. Well, what's happening in the wider culture is a lot of people are making the opposite argument. There are exceptions, therefore God didn't make us male and female. Jesus says, yes, there are, and yes, he did. There are exceptions, God did make them male and female. Those two are not in conflict. And Jesus, in affirming both, I think, in this text, and I want to be clear, he's not saying eunuchs are transgender people or intersex people, I'm not trying to make that claim, but what he is doing is saying there are exceptions and God made them male and female. And he actually, he would just say, with the male and female one, he's just going, haven't you read? The tone of voice is like incredulous, isn't it? Haven't you read? What are you talking about? Yes, there are exceptions, but haven't you read this? And he, was, he would affirm both and want us to affirm both as well. So while I want to be incredibly understanding and loving and welcoming to any of my brothers and sisters who are intersex or transgender... I think my response to the fashionable activists who are using those people to destroy the male-female binary altogether should be a mixture of robust disagreement and sometimes outright ridicule, if I'm honest. And that's what I do. And I think the reason for that is that sometimes you have to say the emperor on this one is wearing no clothes. So I am male, I'm 5 foot 11, I am 37 years old, I am white British, I am 12 and a half stone. If I felt like I was a seven-year-old, blind, six-foot-two-inch black girl, the best way of you loving me would not necessarily be for you to affirm all of those things or any of those things. It actually wouldn't be the most loving thing for you to say, yes, that's true. Now, you might think, that's stupid. Don't be silly. Don't set up a straw man. Well, it isn't as stupid as you think and as likely like to believe that it is, as I hope you're going to see on this video. This is just taken from the University of Washington, which is admittedly in quite a liberal state in America, but this will just give you an idea of the way in which the people who are going to be running the country in the next 20 years are currently thinking about some of these questions. I think you'll see it's not quite as silly as it sounds. Thanks. There's been a lot of talk about identity lately, but how far does it go? And is it possible to be wrong? We went to the University of Washington to find out. Are you aware of the debate happening in Washington State around um, the ability to access bathrooms, locker rooms, spas based on gender identity and gender expression? I, I think people should be able to have access to the facility. I think uh, bathrooms could and potentially should be gender neutral because there doesn't need to be a classification for differences. I think people definitely should have the ability to go into whichever locker room they want. Uh, I feel like at least public universities should do their best to accommodate for those who do not have a specific uh, gender identity. You know, whether you identify as male or female and whether you're 
sex at birth is matching to that, you should be able to utilize the resources. So if I told you that I was a woman, what would your response be? Good for you. Okay. Like, <laughs> yeah. Nice to meet you. I'll be like, what? <laughs> really? I don't have a problem with it. I'd ask you how you came to that conclusion. If I told you that I was Chinese, what would your response be? I mean, I might be a little surprised, but I would say, good for you. Like, yeah, be who you are. <laughs> I would maybe think you had some Chinese ancestor. I would ask you how you similarly came to that conclusion and why you came to that conclusion. Um, I would have a lot of questions just because on the outside, I would assume that you're a white man. If I told you that I was seven years old, what would your response be? Um, I wouldn't believe that immediately. Uh, I probably wouldn't believe it, but I mean, I it wouldn't really bother me that much to go out of my way and tell you no, you're wrong. I'd just be like, oh, okay, he wants to say he's seven years old. If you feel seven at heart, then, <laughs> then so be it. Yeah, good for you. <laughs> so if I wanted to enroll in a first grade class, do you think I should be allowed to? Uh, probably not, I guess. I mean, unless you haven't completed first grade up to this point and for some reason need to do that now. If that's where you feel, like, mentally you should be, then I feel like there are communities that would accept you for that. I would say so long as you're not hindering society and you're not causing harm to other people, I feel like that should be an okay thing. If I told you I'm six feet, five inches, what would you say? That I would question. Why? <laughs> because you're not. <laughs> no, I don't think you're 6'5". If you truly believed you're 6'5", I don't think it's harmful. I think it's fine if you believe that. It doesn't matter to me if you think you're taller than you are. <laughs> so you'd be willing to tell me I'm wrong? I wouldn't tell you you're wrong. No, but I say that um, I don't think that you are. I feel like that's not my place as like another human to say someone is wrong or to draw lines or boundaries. No, I mean, I wouldn't just go like, oh, you're wrong, like, that's wrong to believe in it, because, I mean, again, it doesn't really bother me what you want to think about your height or anything. So, I can be a Chinese woman. You... <laughs> um, sure. But I can't be a six-foot-five Chinese woman. Yes. If you thoroughly debated me or explained why you felt that you were six-foot-five, uh, I feel like I would be very open to saying that you're six foot five, or Chinese, or a woman. It shouldn't be hard to tell a 5'9 white guy that he's not a six foot five Chinese woman. But clearly it is. Why? What does that say about our culture? And what does that say about our ability to answer the questions that actually are difficult? I think that's actually an exemplary video because he's not mocking any transgender person. What he's saying is, can you, as someone who's not a transgender person, see the logical connections that you're missing as you're doing this? And that's, that, in some cases, that's why sometimes the third category, I think there needs to be a mixture of, as I said, robust disagreement and sometimes just ridicule, like the child who says, look at the emperor, he's not wearing any clothes. Uh, you might think that whole exercise is just rather silly because how would that ever come up in practical life? But actually it's not. There are such people as transabled people, who are those who identify as disabled even though they are able-bodied. So you might identify as blind even though you can see. Should that person be given a disability badge? You might have come across this woman, Rachel Dollars. I'm not quite sure how to pronounce her last name. She was the president of the NAACP. 
um, which is a civil rights organization for black people in, the Ameri in America. It goes back, Martin Luther King and so on. And on the right, she's identified as black. But it turns out there's a huge outcry a few months ago because it turns out she's actually white. And so she has to stand down as president of the NAACP. There's a huge furore over it. And obviously a lot of people are then looking on and saying, well, hang on, if a male can identify as a female, why can't a white person identify as a black person and vice versa? Much more severely, and this is admittedly an extreme example, and you feel squeamish about these things, do look away. Um, but Richard Hernandez, who's a 55-year-old former banker, identifies as a dragon. And he has a forked tongue, surgically altered. And he has horns on his forehead. He has a flat, surgically, very flattened nose, as you can see, and almost removed ears. How do you help Richard Hernandez? And I think many of us would say, I would certainly say, I would suggest that we help him not by affirming his dragonness and giving him medical surgery to align his body with his feelings, but actually by saying, do you know, I think this is a, a disability, an impairment, and I love you, and I want to help, but I don't think the best way to help is by medically enacting everything you feel in your mind. I actually think that's not the loving way of treating somebody with that condition. And I certainly don't help him by denying that there is any clear difference between humans and dragons, as if the human-dragon binary is somehow out of date because of his exception. I think instead I would say, haven't you read... In the beginning, God made them humans and dragons, or equivalent for that in Genesis 1. And I, I think it's important to be able to look at something like that and say, I just don't think that's the loving... I know it feels like the loving response to say, whatever you say. But actually, in that case, I think we could probably see that it wasn't. So what does love look like? Well, we're in a society that appears to present only two options. One, affirm the givenness of male and female and insist everyone fits into one or the other box. Or two deny the givenness of male and female, make a giant spectrum, and prioritize feelings over bodies. And I think Jesus gives us a third option, which is to affirm emphatically that God made us male and female, and creation is good, and biological sex is good, and affirm emphatically that there are eunuchs, there are exceptions, whether from birth or disfigurement or self-inflicted changes, and it is possible to be a eunuch for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. In many ways... Jesus doesn't just say that, he actually enacts it in his own life. I love this about him. See, Jesus, if you and I were saying, if somebody said, okay, how are we going to do the incarnation, God becoming human, in light of the fact that God isn't male or female, right? God in himself is spirit, he's not male or female. So how are we going to do the incarnation? How are we going to do God become human? Well, let's make him neither male nor female. Then everyone will see that humans, male and female are both the image of God. And yet God doesn't do that. He very specifically becomes a male. He becomes a circumcised Jewish male. It's hard to get more explicitly gender-specific than that. He affirms, if you like, the binary between male and female simply by becoming a circumcised male. And yet, he also lives his entire life in a way that tips over the apple cart on all sorts of expectations about what maleness and femaleness look like including the fact that he says your family ties are much less important than your kingdom ties. And he never has sex, which people would have expected a Jewish male, and he never gets married, which people would have expected a Jewish rabbi to do. He and many, do you see what he's doing? He's both affirming the difference between male and female in being very obviously a male, and he is tipping over many cultural expectations about what that looks like, and in some ways, metaphorically, he is himself a eunuch for the kingdom of heaven abstaining from sex and marriage in order to do what God has called him to do. The funny thing is, all of us, 
not just intersex people or trans people or anybody else, all of us, as Christians or not, live with some degree of disconnect or dissonance between what is objectively true of us and what we feel to be true in day-to-day life. In many ways, that was the whole point of the Essence teaching series we did throughout the spring, right? Pretty much every week, Graham and me and Belinda and Jez and Ollie were standing up and saying, oh, by the way, there is often a disconnect between what you feel and what you are, but God says you are this even if you don't feel like it. And the beauty for us as Christians is that for us, it's not the way we feel that defines our essence, but it is the word and the work of Christ that defines our essence, and so we should be used to this problem. We should be used to the reality of saying, do you know what, to some degree... I know where you're coming from. I feel that too because there is that tension in my own life and I'm waiting for the day when it goes away. But for now, I do face a disconnect between what God says is true of me in Christ and what I feel like might be true on a Tuesday evening. And because I'm used to that, I suppose I must be able to understand and empathize and love and care and show understanding towards anybody who experiences a disconnect between a biological reality and an experienced identity. And I do that not by saying, well, it's not really an issue, or don't worry, just get over it. Instead, I do it by pointing forward in hope to the day when all of those disconnects and dissonances will be gone and swallowed up in life because Jesus returns and the new Jerusalem comes down to earth and heaven and earth become the same thing and Christ is united with his bride and all sorrow and sighing, whatever it's caused by, intersex conditions, transgender people, gay people, straight people, single people, married people, divorced and remarried and bereaved people, all of us with all of our pain and all of our issues and disconnects caused by our sexuality in some way, all of us find those tears wide away and swallowed up in life and so I should be used to this and I should be able to say to anybody for any reason I know what it's like and I will stand with you as we wait and hope for the day when this is no longer an issue because Jesus is back and that's why I want us to finish this meeting by breaking bread together because this meal this the Lord's Supper we call it or communion this this table is a moment of waiting We often miss that in the story, but what Jesus does is he says, the night he's betrayed, he's about to die, he takes bread, he takes the cup, and he says, take this, all of you. And then he says something that we often miss. He says, I tell you the truth, I will not drink this again, the fruit of the vine, until I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. He's saying, let's take bread and the cup now. But let's do it in anticipation of the feast, the far side of all of this pain and suffering, when you and I will be able to enjoy it again together. As such, the table is not just a backward-looking thing where we say, isn't it wonderful what Christ has done? It's a forward-looking thing when we say, isn't it wonderful what Christ will do? And it's the both and of communion that I think makes it a fitting place to finish and looking at a tricky subject like this. So we're going to go to the four tables in just a moment. Sally and the band are going to come out and... Lead us in a song. The way, way we do it here, we, have, we take shot glasses and a bit of bread. If you are a Christian from any church tradition, right, if you want, unless you're living in rebellion against God right now, and you know you are, you'll probably know if you are, come, come to the table. We'd love to have you join us. It could be Baptist, Catholic, Orthodox, Anglican, whatever tradition you're from, come and join us because this is a Christian meal. If you're not a Christian, we'd encourage you to sit this one out because this is something that Christians do. There'll be other people sitting it out as well, so don't worry, you won't feel... Weird, but if, you want to, if you're a Christian, you want to come to the table, please come. Let's take bread and take juice and let's remind ourselves not just of what Jesus has done, but of what gloriously he one day will do. Yeah. Amen? Let's get to our feet, shall we? And then in your own time, if you want to head to the table. Thanks, son.